Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Let's get into the book of Joshua. Lord, speak to us. We, we are about to dive into the next chapter in the saga that we've been going after. And if you haven't been here, we've been studying through the book of Joshua. And it's this amazing book that comes after the story of, of what happens in Exodus. You, you see God bringing the people out of Egypt and then into the promised land. It was delayed uh, for a generation because they were too afraid to go to battle. Uh, but... Joshua and his crew get the, the encounter with the Lord at the beginning, and he promises them, wherever you place your feet, you're going to walk into, and that land is going to belong to you. And so they go in with the confidence that God is going to fight their battles for them. Their confidence is in the Lord, and they cross over the Jordan. They go into Jericho, and God gives them the city, and it's a beautiful way how he did it, just by walking around the city, essentially. God routed that army for them, and of course, they were so excited about that victory, but God had said that all of the, the spoils from that battle were going to go directly to him. They would keep the gold and the silver uh, for the temple. Everything else was going to be devoted to destruction. And so uh, that's what they did, except for one man who took uh, some gold and some silver and buried it in his tent. And because he did so, when they went into their next battle at Ai, uh, they were defeated and many men died. And last week, uh, we look back at that whole deal. We see how God brought down punishment onto to Achan and his family for the sin that they had committed. But because they dealt harshly with that sin and they were obedient to the Lord, God led them out of the valley of trouble, the valley of Achor, into a whole new place. He gave them victory at the very same place where they experienced defeat. Turned that story around to a place of incredible uh, power and grace and victory. And instead of there being a monument to their failure, uh, there was amazing testimonies of victory in their life. And then they went on to, uh, instead of just the next battle, God had led them to a place called Shechem that lands right in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Y'all remember this story? And, and as they got there, if you haven't been here, this is what happened. They go and celebrate and they offer sacrifices to God. So Right as the valley of these mountains kind of hit, in the middle they stood with half the Israelites on one side on, on Mount Ebal, half the Israelites on Mount Gerizim, and they began to read the law. And over uh, on one half you had the Levites who read the law, and, and on the other side they read the blessing. And so we had this, this crazy sort of collision of God's justice and the law and his righteousness along with his blessing that comes from obedience. And we, we look forward to that. As we go into battle, as we walk into our victory, we walk into the promised land that God's called us to, the, the whole deal is that in the middle of that is the answer. If we get sucked into trying to just get every jot and tittle of the law right, we will our, our relationship with God will turn to religion, and eventually we'll be totally externally in a relationship with God, only focused on the outside and you'll miss it. And if you do well, uh, the best case scenario is that you become self-righteous. But on the other hand, there's this other, this other situation where we could just completely give up. And we could say, well, we could never, we could never reach uh, obedience with God. And, and, and we sit over there and just completely give up 
And in between all of that is the cross, where God's justice and his mercy met. And God, who's not gentle on sin, he's not easy on sin, he said that you know, no sin will go unpunished, punishes his own son in our place, that we might receive forgiveness and grace and blessing. And so they offered right in the middle of that law and the blessing, there was an, uh, a, uh, an altar of uncut stone where they offered a lamb, a beautiful picture of what was to come of the gospel. It's awesome. And we walk forward, not because we are strong, we're able to walk into the land, because God is strong. And this is the theme that just keeps hammering right through this whole book. And so as we get into this one, uh, I, want to, I want to get you into Joshua chapter 9. Hopefully you're already there. If you've been with us, you kind of know where we're going. But in our previous times together, we've seen Israel move from victory to defeat, back to victory. And God is, is working to, to not only bring them into the promised land, to, but to develop their own character, uh, to speak to them, to reveal his character and his nature to them, to increase their faith. It's just a beautiful thing. So we see God at work here. So let's read this passage. And as we read it, I, I want you to listen for this because... What is about to happen here is kind of uh, a shock. You've seen this full uh, fear that they encountered in this incredible defeat at AI because they directly sinned against God. And this is a whole different story. Remember, they've just read the law. They've just had this incredible encounter with God between these two mountains. And they were walking out fully committed and victorious and excited about the Lord. And instead of the enemy coming at them with a direct attack that would have been easily uh, exposed. And at that point, they were probably so excited about God, they would have had a chance. Instead, there's a different approach altogether that's just as dangerous and can cause just as many issues. So let's look at this. Word is starting to spread about what's happened at Israel as they're moving into this promised land. And there are several different nations, so to speak. We're going to read about them here that are watching what's happening. And so there's a lot we can learn about moving into our place of victory and intimacy and abundance with God through this. So let's look in, in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. So they gathered together as one against Joshua and Israel. So you've got all these nations that are rising up and saying, we're going to have to come together because this God that's, that's moving into our land is just defeating things. So we're not going to be able to stand alone against them. Let's form an alliance and let's wipe them out before they kill us all. And so that's exactly what's happening here in verse 3. It says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon, this is another, another city here, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho, and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out parched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbling. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us or close to us. Then how can we make a covenant to you? 
Then they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. To Sihon the king of Heshbon and to Og the king of Bashan who lived in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now and make a covenant with us. Look at this is how deceiving they were. Y'all following along with this? They, these guys who live next door were like, We are going to die because Israel is powerful and their God is moving on our land. And we don't want to lose this. Now, this is a very normal way of thinking for an ancient Near East culture. We talked about this before. Their, their understanding of God was almost geographically based. Like they had power over a certain area. And when they started seeing one country, it was as much about their army being defeated as it was about the God of that country being defeated by a more powerful God. And so when they heard the stories of not only Israel's army, they were afraid even more so of the God of Israel because he was able to overcome the God of Jericho. Are you seeing this? And so they're, they're very immediately thinking of this where we would need to be kind of reminded that this is what was going on, but that's their culture. That's how they operated. And see, God had told back in Deuteronomy, God had made it abundantly clear. When you go into the promised land, you're not going to make a treaty with anybody. No treaties. You're just going to move right in and take the whole thing. And the, the mentality here was that God's rationale that he, he told them in Deuteronomy was I don't want these other countries with their other gods and all the different things that they worship to sort of infiltrate your understanding of me and you start adding them too. And all of a sudden, you've got all these other gods mixed in with me as well. And some of you will turn and give your heart to these other gods and try and appease them to gain control over your life. And see, God wanted them to come out of that and, and be separate and unified, holy his, have a pure heart toward him. And so he says, I want you to make no treaties with them. I don't want you to intermingle, don't intermarry, just push them all out of the land. And then I want you to walk humbly with me and me alone. And that was the mentality for that. And so that's why when Joshua and the leaders are talking to them, they're like, well, where do you live? We're not allowed to make a treaty with anybody nearby. But if you're far away, then we can talk. And so... They knew this. They knew Israel's plan. So you guys got the whole deal, right? Everything from their shoes to their wineskin to the bread, everything they brought looked like they had come from a far, far distant country. And they looked worn out from a grueling uh, journey all the way to Israel. And they were flattered by this, right? They would have been like, wow, yeah, like countries far away have heard of our exploits. So they want to come and make a treaty with us, this powerful nation. And that would have felt kind of cool. And so they're coming in and they're telling all this thing. And so in verse 12, they start pointing to the evidence. They're like, look, here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the, on the day was set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbling. These wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And the garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. <laughs> so... The men took some of their provisions, but here's the big line. But did not ask counsel from the Lord. 
And Joshua, here it is, made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Well, the story continues. Look at verse 16. It says, at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. They were really close. These people who said, we're from a faraway land are like right down the road. They're literally six miles from Jerusalem. Follow me? Like they are right on top of them. They're right in the middle. It says, and the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. So like, we gotta go talk to these people. Now their cities were Gideon, oh boy, Shepherah, <laughs> Birak, Kirath, Jerob. But the people of Israel, this is cool, did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had swore to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then all the congregation murmured. They got pretty grumpy against the leaders. But all the elders said to all the congregation, check this out. This is in verse 19. It says, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us? Saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So, get this, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hands of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation <clears throat> and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So we see this incredible passage. Like I said, at this peak moment of spiritual fitness when Israel was like in its peak moment right there, the enemy comes in not with a full frontal attack. It, it doesn't draw up battle lines. Israel would have known exactly what to do with that. They probably would have immediately gone to pray before they went into battle. But now they get into this moment and they rely on their senses. And there's this deception that comes in from the enemy. And so there's four things I want us to walk away with this passage that I think will help us. Because here's how we're, we're applying this to our lives. We're understanding that the picture of the promised land is a picture of the abundant life that God wants for each believer. And it's one that, that has been promised to us and that is sort of our birthright in that we are born again into Christ, that, that we are no longer slaves to sin, and that literally everywhere we put our foot, we can go with confidence knowing that, that our God, through Jesus Christ, has already defeated the enemy, that we have authority and we can move in with incredible power into that land. But that that land and that abundant life is not one for us when 
sin through uh, sitting on the couch and waiting for God to do everything. That God involves us, not because he needs us, but because he desires to show himself to us in a more intimate way. Because he wants us along for the ride. Because he wants us to experience him in every way. He brings us into this, this relationship where we interact with him, where we participate with him on walking into this abundant life. And it's progressive. We know that the victory is already won, but then we start to fight daily and weekly and seasonal battles. And some of them we find victory. Some of them, our, our weaknesses are exposed. And in different ways, God continues to work in us. And so the story of the Israelites, we see a picture of us walking into abundance. And so with that in mind, let's, let's take these four things, four things, uh, <laughs> take these four things and try to apply them to our lives as we see this story. And in the end, I think you'll see a surprise uh, ending that, that God has given us. So the first one I want to get, and I recently have been uh, working with some studio stuff because we've gotten into recording, and these guys write such gorgeous music. Aren't they amazing? Like, it's just incredible. That song we sang today, I'm just sitting there like, man, it's just truth has been spoken. Man, it's, it's chains have been broken. It's just beautiful. And God has given these gifts. So anyway, we've been working so we can, you know, do some things. So maybe sound soundproofing things. So I'm cutting wood. And every time I get anywhere near a saw, you know, I always remember uh, what my dad and everybody who I've ever been around saw with. They always have this one thing. When you're about to cut something, what's the thing they always say? Be careful. Be, be careful. Yes, that's true. My dad definitely would say that. He, he's down, I've been scared of saws because I was a kid. He got around his table saw and, like, chopped half his finger off. And he's, like, an amazing saxophone player. So that was a big deal around the house. And so he finally got it. They were able to attach it back on. It's a good thing. So be careful is definitely in my mind. But there's something that people always say. They say, measure twice, cut once. And, and that's, that's an important thing when you're dealing with wood. But in life, I want to give you something that's a little twist. I feel like will help you. Maybe you'll remember it. Pray twice, choose once. Right? And, and essentially, when we come to this passage and we see this, the, the deal was not that they were, they were dumb people. No, this was an elaborate and very well thought out deception. This wasn't, they fell for something silly uh, that, that anyone us, one of us would have caught. Now this is serious, premeditated, I mean they baked this bread early enough, knowing they were going to go so it would be crumbly and moldy, and they got old wine, I mean they really, they thought this through. And I want you to know that we have an enemy who is absolutely ready to start working on something in your teen years that he's going to harvest in your 60s. He's that patient, he's that deceptive, and he's that insidious. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this, when we're beginning to make life choices, when we're looking at, at covenants, this was a covenant that he was going to make with these people. When we're looking at these crucial decisions as we walk in this life of abundance, what we have to understand is that, and this is obvious, we have to inquire of the Lord. And this means you have to slow down. This means you have to be patient. We need to be in this pray without ceasing mode to where we can operate with the day-to-day -day decisions in the counsel of the Lord. This is why it's so important that you seek wisdom now so that in the moment you know what God has to say about that. This is why I encourage our teenagers to read the book of Proverbs. Because when suddenly they find themselves in some of the moments that can be so confusing and deceptive in our life, the counsel of the Lord is on the tip of their tongue because they've allowed it to work its way into our life. 
But when these mega, huge, big decisions come in our life, we've got to pray twice and choose once. We can't put ourselves in a position where we wing it with these decisions. God has offered us wisdom. God has offered us counsel through his word and through his Holy Spirit active in our life. And so we have to make sure that we don't forget that and get sucked into depending on our own wisdom. Now, it's, it's an easy thing to do because the enemy is so hard at work. But scripture gives us this counsel, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your what? Your own understanding. We get this, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path. See, we know this. God has given us clear instruction that we are to trust him and not our own understanding. You're like, what if I have a lot of understanding? Well, praise the Lord, but still trust him. Be grateful for the wisdom that God has given you. But trust in him, even when you're the expert in a certain area. I mean, Joshua had to be feeling like an expert. They were walking into this incredible victory. I mean, they've never been probably more excited and unified as a country during Joshua's life than this moment. They felt so strong and so capable. And in that very moment, they were deceived. Scripture also tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Making life decisions based on your own understanding without inquiring of the Lord will get you into trouble over time. Make a decision on your own understanding without the counsel of the Lord will get you into trouble over time. And, and what we want to do is pray twice, choose once. There's a lesson in that. Don't rely on our own strength, rely on his wisdom. The second lesson I want you to get out of this is one that is incredibly obvious. I think all of us can stand up here, and any of you, you can just turn you loose, and you can preach, and you can share testimony, and we can all just go off on this one because it's so obvious, but it's simple. Do not be deceived. <laughs> Do not be deceived. Now, when it comes to deception, in the same way of battle, our strength is in the Lord because God is the one who exposes the lives of the enemy. We understand that that is his tactic. Satan has always been a liar. You don't have to go back very far uh, or go very deep into the story of God's word and see deception being the very first encounter you have with Satan. When, when man and Satan meet, deception happens. Did God really say? I mean, that's been his thing from the very beginning is to make you question what God said and to make you think that God has really not got your best interests at heart. Interest at heart. He said, You'll be like God, but God doesn't really want you to have that. He's holding back on you. You'd be happier over here. And the enemy is always saying, God is not trustworthy. Let's do it your way. Let's, maybe, maybe God is going to wait too long or he's going to hold back on you. And there are shortcuts that you can take, secret wisdom that you can have. There are things that, that I can give you that God's holding out on you. And if you'll just come with me. And the fruit looked beautiful and it looked delicious and she ate it. Right? See this. That's how the enemy works. He undercuts God's, our faith in Christ. It's impossible to please God unless we have faith in God. So sin is always anything that's done of not, not of faith, right? That's the word's definition of sin. Things that we don't do in faith are sinful. When we choose to do something we think is disobedient, we're in our heart disobeying against God. He's saying that's the enemy's constant work is to try and undercut our faith, destroy our trust in him so that we operate on 
our own understanding. And the second we do that, we become vulnerable to all kinds of things. And immediately the enemy wants to offer us a covenant with him, a covenant with something deceptive that would bring destruction with us. But let's look at his tactics here because this is helpful. The first one, we see a disguise. Satan, we hear, comes as an angel of light. He loves to disguise himself in so many different ways. And so in our, in our walk with God, when we trust in our senses, when we look with our eyes and we see what it looks like, and we, we stand the, the chance of being deceived by the disguise that the enemy will have for us. As you mature in Christ, uh, less and less does the enemy want to offer you a full frontal attack. He goes in disguised and deceiving and lying. This is how he comes in. And so there's a disguise. The next one is lies. It's as simple as that. The Gibeonites lied about where they're from. This is how Satan works and never tells the truth. He's the father of lies. The third thing is flattery. You see, that's how the enemy loves to do. The Gibeonites complimented them. They played on their pride. Satan loves to puff us up, make us trust in ourselves, tearing down our trust in God, building up our trust in ourselves, trying to mess this thing up. So we do the very opposite of what Proverbs tells us to do. And then finally, we see the usage of God's word. Even at the, at the, in the garden where you see Satan tempting Eve, she goes back to what, what God had commanded them and begins to talk about God's word. God's word. Did God really say and he says, it's always challenging God's word. The same thing happens with the Gibeonites. They go and they bring in what God has already done. So there's this little bit of truth. And they play around with the word of God. He used it for their benefit. And he tries to, to deceive them with it. So he often even uses God's word and twists them around for, for his benefit to bring destruction in our life. We see that a lot of things are halfway true, but not all the way true. There's several tactics that the enemy uses to bring trouble and deception into our lives. Subtle, this is a, a great thing for us to remember. Subtle, this, do not be deceived because subtle deceptions lead to total disobedience. Subtle deception leads to total disobedience. And we know that about disobedience. Partial disobedience is disobedience. And the enemy loves to come in and cause us to compromise and come to that place. So, first we get, pray twice, choose once. And secondly, don't be deceived. The third lesson I think we can take from this is a, is a beautiful one. Is that we are to take covenants very seriously as the people of God. We've got to understand the, the way that they thought of covenants maybe is... It's better than the way we think of covenant. Some of us have dumbed down uh, what it means to have a covenant. And so let's look at what they did. First off, they, they set up these treaties with them. And this word treaties in my translation, uh, they translated covenant. But these two, two words, treaty and covenant, come from the same uh, word. They're translated out of that same word as, as treaty or covenant. And Israel makes this covenant with them. And the people of the ancient Near East took one of these Covenants extremely seriously. One of the, the covenant processes, we've talked about it before when we were talking about Moses and, and different Abraham, actually, is they would call it to cut a covenant. And what they would do is they would take an animal, usually a bull or something, and they would cut it in half. That's kind of gross. Uh, but they would cut it in half, and in between that, the blood would be shed, and they would take one half of the animal, put it on this side, 
another half of the animal put it on this side, and the two who were keeping that covenant would walk between that. They would walk through that, and in that sense, they were cutting a covenant, and the covenant was, was simply this. Let it be to us as it was to this animal if either of us break this covenant. And that was how seriously they took it. And they made these covenants. They were no joke. And, and we sometimes don't take our covenants seriously. We live in a culture where we constantly change our minds with the covenants that we make. And God takes them incredibly seriously. Now, this is beautiful uh, because it plays back to us. But you see this whole sense in, in verse 19 where it says, because of the covenant we've made, we cannot touch them. We cannot touch them. We can't do anything. Even though we went into this covenant on false premises, with false assumptions, we genuinely thought they were from far away. But we're not going to use the fact that we didn't have all the information or we were deceived as an excuse to walk out of a covenant that we made with our God. Even though we didn't have all the information, even though we were a little bit deceived, we still made a covenant and we cannot touch them because we have sworn to our God and we're going to keep this covenant. It's going to hurt. The Israelites began to murmur. People were frustrated. That was supposed to be our land. That's supposed to be our city. I wanted to have, you know, that. We want to see what God was going to do. We took that city. Like, we were robbed in a certain sense, but we're going to keep our covenant. We can't touch them. They took it seriously. And these people, the Gibeonites, became woodcutters and water carriers. Now, this is a beautiful story here. Because what we see, this is the fourth thing. These will overlap a little bit. The fourth thing is simply this. God's grace is greater than our sin. Like, how are you getting that out of this? God's grace is greater than our sin. Check this out. This is how awesome God is. You've got these Gibeonites, and they heard about how scary this God is and how powerful this God is. And they've literally been shaking in their boots. They're terrified. They know they're going to die. And they're worried about it. And they're, they're so worried, they want to do something about it. And the Bible says they were cunning in the way that they acted here. And that same Hebrew word that's translated cunning here, and we think about it as sort of being negative, is the same word that's translated for acted shrewdly that describes Joshua when he used a strategy to take Ai. It's the same word that we see in a positive way uh, in Proverbs when, when God tells us to be wise in different ways. And so we see that deception is not God's method of doing anything. And while we don't, we don't see that at the same time, God sees, in a certain sense, I believe, their genuine faith and fear of God. And they acted... Because they were scared and they believed. And I think this was more than, than you know, the, the demons believe and they shudder. This went past that to where they were literally wanting to walk up and say, we will be your servants. Do to us as you want to do. In a weird way, I'll look at this and it's like the Gibeonites were like, we want in on that. We want in. If we got to deceive them, we'll do it, but we want in on this. And what, and this is intense, y'all, what the enemy meant to mess up what God wanted to do, God ends up shifting and changing things around to reveal his grace 
to reveal his goodness. Listen to the story here. These Gibeonites who lived nearby, listen, they chose to go and make a treaty with Israel, one up-and-coming country who's won two battles at this point. Are really? Now, they knew the story of Egypt, but they also knew what had just happened. They chose against five other kings who wanted Gibeon to come and fight to destroy Israel. And you're going to see that in the very next chapter. But Gibeon was like, no, nah, we'd rather be with Israel and their God than with five other kings. And so you're going to see in just a minute how, well, next week, these five kings, you're like, wait, well, what? <laughs> how are we going to be here? But these five other kings, they come to attack Gibeon. And guess what? Israel honors the covenant. I can't wait. I don't get a priest. I message. Steve's coming back. But you just wait. It's awesome. You're going to see God swoop in and defend these people who snuck into the covenant community, even though they didn't deserve it, even though the very premise of getting in was sinful. They still got in, and the Israelites made a covenant with them, and God was like, and I will keep that covenant with them. And it didn't go away. Saul, the first king of Israel, after the time of the judges, decides to attack and do away with the Gibeonites. And guess what God does? He strikes Israel with a three-year famine because God had made, they had made a covenant with Gibeon. This is hundreds of years later. And God's like, no, the Gibeonites are part of this covenant. They are part of this covenant community. Is that not awesome? I think it's beautiful that, that they get brought into this covenant community even though they didn't deserve to be, even under false premise, not because they were good, not because they deserved it, but because our God is good. He was able to take a moment where the enemy was trying to deceive, the enemy was trying to destroy, the enemy was wrecking and robbing and stealing, and undercutting what God was trying to do. And God says, no, I got this. I'm going to take this deception, this failure, and I'm going to turn it into a monument, into a picture that's going to last centuries of my grace and my love. Because I promised to Abraham I wanted to bless him, and I wanted to bless all the nations around him. And just like, this is beautiful, just like God included Rahab the prostitute as they went into Jericho, you see this. Both of them were native Canaanites. Both of them had confidence that God was going to give the land to Israel. Both of them responded with fear before God and the people of Israel. Rahab acted with cunning in order that she and her family might find refuge among the people of God. The same is true of the Gibeonites. In the same way that God absorbed Rahab and her family into this covenant community, God absorbed Gibeon into this covenant community and made them servants of the Lord. And Israel knew it right along. They go and defend them as if they've been brothers all along. They do not hold that, that deception over their head. They immediately go to battle with them just moments later. The very next chapter, they're having to step up and defend them. And there's different ways of looking at this. If they had just asked, inquired of the Lord, it could have gone a very different way. But in God's sovereignty, he's given us this picture of how God's grace is greater than our sin. I want you to process this for a second because all of us in our life can go and open up old photo books. We can look back in our memory. Most of us don't need pictures. 
and you can think, I made some covenant, I made a promise, I made a decision, I made a choice. I was deceived, but I gave my word. And we can look back, and I have all the information, and I blew it. And some of us are like, if one of those covenants or something that I did, I feel like it derailed me. And from here, now, and forevermore, I've got to sit here as a second-rate believer while all these people who made the right decision in that moment get to walk into the promised land. They get to go into this great intimacy with God. They get to experience fellowship with Him. But me, because I was deceived and I fell for the trap, I got sucked in and I made this promise. Some of us, we look back covenants and we think, well, I'll just change it. And I think about the, and, I, and with all due respect to all of us, when we see the attacks that we have, the covenants that we make with, with marriage, the covenants that we make uh, with our families and the relationships that we have there, the things that God has led us into, uh, there are promises that we make, we give our word. There's a, a, a difficult, difficult stuff we've got to do, but what I want you to see in this, and I can't say I know your whole story, and this is super sensitive, but I want you to get this. If the enemy has ever used some, some past uh, episode of failure and deception in your life to somehow lead you to a place where you feel like you need to abandon a covenant that you made with God, I want you to take a deep breath and hear this. God's grace is greater than our sin. Even if you were deceived, God is able to turn a covenant that was made on deception, that was made on false information, that maybe wouldn't have been what we thought would be his first plan. God is able to take whatever that is and turn it into a picture of his grace. He's that good. He's able to restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. We know this, right? God is able to reveal his character, his nature, and be glorified even when we've blown it. And that's what I love about it. Because even when we sin, God says, I can use your sin. I don't want you to sin, but I'm going to swap those ashes out for beauty. I'm going to let it be a picture of my grace if you'll walk with me through this. You don't, you don't take the easy route through this. God is good. He's able. And we can move forward in confidence. You're like, but it hurts. I understand. Like the Israelites were upset and there was loss and there was difficulties, but... I'm not an expert able to speak to all these things, but I will say this. God's grace is greater. And if we've made and given our word or we've bound our lives to a person or a thing, God has called us to keep that covenant with him. And he is able to do whatever he chooses to do to resolve that. And there are exceptions that are recorded in scripture if you want to look at that. There are provisions made for certain issues. If you want to go back and look at that. But what we can't understand is that God takes covenant seriously. You know why this is such good news? <laughs> let, me, let me back up a little bit. We're all thinking about our own things. It's kind of heavy. But I want you to think about this. God has made us a covenant. And that's why we call this church. That's why we call it covenant community. That he has made a covenant with us. That he keeps. And he will not break. It doesn't cross his mind to break it. It doesn't depend on how you got in it. I didn't understand everything when I prayed the prayer. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into when I chose to follow Christ. I didn't understand all these things. But here I am, and I just want you to know, you, if you are in Christ, you are part of the covenant community 
of God. And even if you can sit back and cite reasons why you don't deserve to be here, and even if you can cite uh, your failures and all these other things, I want you to know that with all of the fury and passion and sovereign, holy, righteous goodness, God will come to defend you from the enemies that are coming in. And you're going to see that play out in this next passage, in this next chapter, in a way that is just going to wow you. And when, when you hear that preaching, when you look at this passage, I want you to see God coming for his covenant people fighting on their behalf. He literally moves heaven and earth to defend his covenant community. And I want you to know that he will do that for you. And just because you've got something in your life, you can look back and say, that should have disqualified me from that. Listen, I want you to know the covenant community that we are in is not here. You're not in it because you're able to keep the covenant. You're here because God has chosen and his, his will is to keep this covenant with you. And because of the goodness and righteousness of Christ and because of the incredible love and mercy of God, he's able to be just and holy. He's dealt with sin according to his own righteousness. He didn't have to just be okay with it. He dealt with it. And now he's able to offer you what we do not deserve. Incredible intimacy and inclusion in the covenant community of God. Isn't that amazing? God's grace is greater than our sin. So we learn some practical wisdom from this, right? We, we want to pray twice, choose once. We don't want to be deceived. But clearly we understand the enemy chooses to attack us so many ways. And even when we fail, we fall for the trap. We can understand that God continues with us when we're in him. His grace is greater than our sin. But to use the cliche, two wrongs don't make a right. We don't need to, to sin again to correct something that we did. The Israelites abandoning that treaty would have been a disgrace to their God and a disgrace to them. And we messed up this whole picture of grace. Once something's gone wrong, pick up, reset, continue to obey the commands of God and honor Him. No matter what you've got yourself into, you just keep obeying God, do it His way, and watch Him shift and expose His grace and glory and beauty and you and your marriage and your family and kids and your work in ways that you never imagined simply because you submitted to him and his ways. Our ways get our results. His ways get his results. Give him the opportunity in your obedience to show his goodness so we have these things that we hear. I want to invite the band to come up and we're going to close. And as, as we process what God has given us, I want you to think back in your life. I want you to consider Whatever God's been teaching you here, I want you to pray for courage, pray for wisdom, pray for strength. Pray for reminders of his goodness that he would continue to increase your understanding of his trustworthiness and that he would continue to humble us so that we are able to submit to him without relying on our own strength and wisdom. And expose the, the work of the enemy and allow us to walk without being deceived. And then we pray for grace to cover over the times we work. And for his glory to be exposed in our hearts. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that there's practical things we can avoid as we move into our future. That we don't have to be deceived. That you've offered wisdom through your word. And that we can go forward with confidence trusting in you rather than our own understanding. 
knowing that you will direct our path and make our path straight. Father, we also thank you that even when we've blown it, your grace is greater. We praise you. We give you glory. How amazing is it to serve a God that wastes nothing, that can restore the wasted years, that gives us grace. We love you. We are so grateful. We are so thankful. And we ask that you be glorified in our life. You would stand your feet. Let's respond to the Lord as we sing. If you need to come and pray, you're welcome to come and do that. You can also kneel in the back if you'd like. We're here to serve and help in any way that we can. Because we're good. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.